uh, a book like Ford's Theater. I have a book on Lincoln's assassination at Ford's Theater and the theater itself. So I focus not specifically on the assassination, though that's a part of the story, but I talk about the museums that are a part of Ford's Theater. We talk about some of the, uh, again, characters that aren't as well known. So I talk about um, Anderson um, Ruffin Abbott, who was a uh, African-American surgeon. He volunteered his services uh, during the Civil War. He never actually enlisted. They didn't allow him to enlist as a surgeon, but he volunteered. And he was one of the first African-American Black surgeons in the country. He was at Ford's Theater when Lincoln was shot. And he was there on a date with Mary Todd Lincoln's maid, who was a freed Black oh. woman, Elizabeth Keckley. And he was there and witnessed the assassination. So, you know, we... He he even remained a, f a friend of the family, and he, and they, uh, Mary Lincoln gave him a shawl that had belonged to Lincoln. There's all kinds of threads of history that I try to make children aware of. That you know, it, it's not just this textbook with a with a lot of information in. It's real everyday living experience. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we are speaking with Barbara Ann Mojica. She is the author of a book series titled Little Miss History. Barbara, could you please introduce yourself? Let people know just a little bit more about you, please. Hi, thank you so much, Ed, for inviting me to the podcast today. And I'm very happy to have the opportunity to speak with your listening audience. I am, as you said, an author, but I am also a parent, a grandparent, I am a teacher with a 40-year career in education. I've worked both with children in the general education setting and with children who have very distinct special needs. So at the beginning of my career, I taught uh, in elementary school, and I realized that there were so many children whose needs were not being met. So I went back to school, and I took courses in special education. I got a uh, degree in special education. And I went into that field. I started working with children who had severe needs like autism and fragile X and Down syndrome. 
And I learned so, so much from working with a multidisciplinary staff of speech therapists and occupational therapists and psychologists. And it kind of filled out my career. I eventually became a principal in special education and an administrator to um, be at the other end, actually getting the services for the children who needed them. So uh, I, I had a long kind of circuitous career. And when I finally did, quote, retire, I didn't last very long in retirement. <laughs> I decided I wanted to keep doing pretty much what I had been doing on a more informal basis. So I started uh, writing a series of books, uh, combining my two loves. My undergraduate and graduate degrees originally were in history. So I've always loved finding out about people and places and why people did the things they did and why uh, they initiated all of these wonderful discoveries that led to the modern world today. So I loved history. And now I'm combining my love of history with my love of teaching. So I write a series of nonfiction books but I want to make learning history fun because most kids, when I think of history, they say, you know, just a series of facts <laughs> and events and all of this stuff. Why do I have to learn this anyway? And I wanted to show them that history is not a series of facts and events, but it is dynamic and that we are all part of history. So when I speak to children, I tell them, you are a character in history from the day you're born because history is about real people just like us who got up in the morning, who ate, who had to find some way of supporting themselves and their families. And taken all together, this is, is a part of all of us. And then I tell them, well, you know, everything in the world has a history. So a history is a part of anything that you can think of. It's a part of art. It's a part of music. It's a part of architecture. It's any, any kind of thing that exists has a history. It has, it has a previous past. And if we want to understand how we got to where we are today and possibly plan for a better future, we have to know our history because how can we understand where we are or where we're going if we don't know where we've been? So that was my uh, my premise uh, for writing the series. And what I try to do is I try to get children to be critical thinkers because I think one of the things that's missing in education today, we are all concerned about what we are teaching and we're teaching to the common core. We're teaching to the test. We're trying to meet a arbitrary standard. And again, we're not accounting for the learning styles of individual children, but we're also not teaching them how to think. So we have to become critical thinkers. And if we're going to be a success in life, we have to learn how to think critically because we cannot succeed in anything unless we have these skills. So my books are written with those things in mind. And I approach my subjects 
with uh, a character who narrates the series. That's how I make it fun. So I have a character, Little Miss History, hence the name of the series, Little Miss History Travels Too. She is the narrator, and she takes children on an adventure. And not only does she take them on this adventure, but she also introduces them to other types of disciplines. So in my books, the kinds of um, subjects that I choose always involve other fields. Uh, so some of my books go to science. Some of my books go to geography. Some of my books go to nature and wildlife. Uh, some of them explore uh, modern day issues like issues of Native American rights or uh, Blacks in history who have been ignored in the past and their stories might have been hidden. Uh, and I always try to bring those people and issues to the forefront. And uh, my character is, is a incarnation of a past life of mine because she's a version of a younger version of myself so my illustrator created her based on me and my illustrator does know me well because my illustrator happens to be my husband who has been an artist since the age of five so uh she wears these rose-colored glasses because she has an optimistic view of the world uh, sees the glass always half full rather than empty. That's another thing in education. We sometimes don't teach children to be positive thinkers. We're always teaching them to look at the negative side. Uh, she wears these hiking boots because she's wearing kind of a park ranger hiker's outfit. And I used to love to hike. Uh, the the large boots are in memory of my dad who had huge feet. So that, that's a little bit of my family in there. And I love to travel. So all of those things are an incorporation of my, uh, my interests and a little bit of me in the book. So she takes them on the adventures. She asks them questions. Uh, my books are kind of interactive because I bring up these issues and people and places and I ask children's opinions on things throughout the books. And when I do have the opportunity to go into the classroom, I get, uh, garner my discussions with this in mind. And I try to elicit the children uh, in those discussions. So that's just so, a little bit. So do you have a favorite book that you've written or are they all your babies? Well, that's kind of like asking me, which one is your favorite <laughs> child? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, you know, I have some that are, I, I would say I'm, I was more enthused about than others. I love um, the Sequoia National Park book uh, and because that one involves uh as I said, multidisciplinary thinking. So I have there uh, the trees, the, uh, the uh, sequoia trees. I talk about sequoia trees and redwood trees, how they're the same and the different, how they grow from, from seeds uh, and how they're sometimes spread by the wind. I have diagrams and pictures that 
show the children the contrast. I talk about who came to Sequoia National Park, how it was originally uh, inhabited by Native Americans, and they guided the early explorers to the park. So then I talk about the early explorers, and we talk about the nature in the park. We, we talk about the kind uh, of wildlife you would find. Uh, and then I bring up the questions um, about uh, people and places within the book to you know, elicit children's opinions. And we also talk about the, uh, the pollution because the, uh, it's one of the most beautiful parks, uh, yet it is the most polluted park in the national park system. And they sometimes wow. post a sign that it's unhealthy to breathe the air here. In fact, when they hire people to work there, they give them this uh, warning ahead of time that there is um, and sometimes an abnormal amount of pollution. So I talk about that wow. and I ask the children, well, what do they think about these problems? The pollution was co is caused because it's in the industrial valley with all the, uh, the, the trucking routes and the, the freight lines. And, and I even have a, a little Miss History wearing a kind of gas mask to, to really <laughs> illustrate the point. So in my books, the, we use multimedia. So little Miss History is that character that's drawn, hand-drawn, and she's in many of the episodes, the pages. But there are also in mo almost all of my books, with the exception of a few, like the North Pole, which I have not personally visited, uh, we use actual photography. So we visit the sites, uh, we take uh, photographs. So there are, it's a combination of portraits of people, uh, photography uh, and mixed media. So that's another thing that I think makes them more appealing to children. It's a mix of the old and a mix of what technology we now have in, in the modern world as well. Yeah, very interesting what you've done. Uh, I noticed you go through battleships, you have one on Hyde Park. You know, Hyde Park is very interesting and what what Roosevelt actually uh, did there. So how do you come up with the book's subjects? Like, uh, do you have a whole list of them or do they just come up? and you, hey, I'm going to write a book about this. Well, How do you mostly, come up with the material? A combination of some of the more iconic historical sites that, uh, you know, would be recognizable to everybody, like the Statue of Liberty and Mount Rushmore. Uh, others are, I think, more of uh, those that, children with a particular kind of focus or interest might might want to see. So I try to do a combination uh, of the familiar and the unfamiliar or uh, a, a little bit of a variation of subject. And as I said, I, I tend to be very multidisciplinary and I see, again, history as a reality, everyday people involved in everyday things. So I have a book like on the La Brea Tar Pits and children that are interested in prehistory or archeology span are very into that 
book. And I even have a four, four-year-old fan who just adores uh, fossils. And, and he actually sent me a drawing of, of, you know, what he learned from reading the book, and, which is really, awesome. really cute. Uh, but, you know, so that's a specific history. Uh, you know, that area is prehistory. So that's the only book I have on prehistory. But again, that book is very diverse because I also include the museums. So we talk about scientists and how they work. And I show them a picture of the scientists working outside in the, in the pits and also working inside where they're cleaning the fossils. And if you visit there, you can actually watch the scientists in what they call the fishbowl because it's a glass enclosure. The children can see the scientists working. They can see them outside. They can go into outside and see the, the fossils that are still in the pits. Then they can come inside and they can see these reconstructions of these mammoth creatures or watch a film about the mammoth creatures or walk in the garden. They have recreated a prehistoric garden. So they recreated this garden space with the kinds of plants that were growing for 40, uh, you know, thousand years ago. So uh, we can you know, kind of experience it in a multitude of ways. So so that's an example of a book that appears to a more specific interest. And then again, uh, a book like Ford's Theater, I have a book on Lincoln's assassination at Ford's Theater and the theater itself. So I focus not specifically on the assassination, though that's a part of the story, but I talk about the museums that are a part of Ford's theater. We talk about some of the, uh, again, characters that aren't as well known. So I talk about um, Anderson um, Ruffin Abbott, who was a uh, African-American surgeon. He volunteered his services uh, during the Civil War. He never actually enlisted. They didn't allow him to enlist as a surgeon, but he volunteered. And he was one of the first African-American black surgeons in the country. He was at Ford's Theater when Lincoln was shot. And he was there on a date with Mary Todd Lincoln's maid who was a freed black wow. woman, Elizabeth Keckley. And he was there and witnessed the assassination. So, you know, we, he, he even remained a, f a friend of the family and, he, and they, uh, Mary Lincoln gave him a shawl that had belonged to Lincoln. There's all kinds of threads of history that I try to make children aware of that, you know, it, it's not just this, textbook with a with a lot of information and in. it's real everyday living experience so how did you discover the story behind the story like that with the slave and the doctor being at ford's theater how did you obtain that history well in just in in doing research about ford's theater i came across that that story i just came across huh. that uh, anderson abbott ruffett was there and then i researched him and i had seen the shawl 
in the in one of the museums. So um, I connected all the dots with that. So that's what I mean. Like I kind of tried to pull more of the story, more put more of the threads of the story together when I find things like that. Um, in that story also, I talk about um, uh, some of the uh, the literary references, the, the theater, how John Wilkes Booth was, Booth was an actor uh, and uh, how that influenced him. And I talk about um, also the curse of the theater. So Ford's theater for many years was believed to be cursed and it was virtually hmm. locked and shuttered for many years after the assassination. And after many, many years, they finally started to use it again. But then they had all kinds of accidents. And, and you know, it, it, that's another part, a little part of the story. So um, that's also something that children are interested in. Oh, what could, you know, what could this curse be? So it, I talk about the history, how it was originally bought by John Ford and, and how there was a fire and it burned down right away in its early history. And then he made it even better. He wanted to make it an Athenaeum to like modeled on ancient Greek theaters and he built it bigger and better. And then the story of, you know, what happened, the assassination, the curse and, and all of that. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk a little bit about the Civil War and, and how it was ended and the irony of how one of the first battles and one and, and the signing of uh, the end of the war at Appomattox, it wasn't really at a courthouse. It was at the McLean House and how hmm. they say that the war began on the front porch and ended on the back steps of his, of his porch. So it, it's just kind of storytelling uh, and, and making uh, history something that's more palatable, more amenable to them. Uh, and, tr and then again, tr trying to use those skills that a child has uh, and develop them. You know, uh, children have insatiable curiosity, and that's one of the things I think we should be curious till the day we die. Um, we should always be yeah. learning something new, no matter how old we get. But children that's are just right. little sponges. They just, you know, they want to learn about everything. But in the process of guiding them to learn, we have to teach them when they're thinking uh, how to think how to learn that there are is always more than one side to a story. There's always more than one avenue to explore. And that's so difficult today with uh, our instant modern communication system. Of course, they're used to going to the internet, typing in a question and getting the answer. And as soon as they get the answer, oh, well, this is the answer. Do they take it a step further to see, well, there might be another answer. There might be another opinion. Well, what's the difference between a fact and opinion? Something else that is very important to teach children. Uh, a, 
we're so opinionated today. Uh, we go on social media. Uh, we look at the opinions that are presented there. Sometimes we don't get all the all, all of the information on social media. Again, the algorithms give us uh, a certain amount of information, but they don't present all of the information. They don't give us all the points of view. So what happens is we see certain points of view over and over again. These become the accepted points of view. Then that becomes almost our bias or our way of thinking. Again, not teaching children I agree. thinking. So, um, yes. you know, parents can play a part in that. Uh, and parents, of course, are our first teachers. Our most important teachers. And uh, well, I think one of the most important skills of parenting is being a good mentor uh, more than, uh, you know, this authoritarian figure. Of course, children have to respect their parents and they have to learn that their parents are allowed to exercise a certain amount of control. But at the same time, Parents have to teach children that there is more than one side to every story. There's more than one point of view. And if they're constantly imposing their point of view on a child, they're not allowing them to think and grow. What they should be saying is, this is what I think. What do you think about it? You know, And depending upon the age of the child, you can develop that you know, curiosity and that, yes. that uh, giving them the feeling that they can have a point of view. They might be right. They might be wrong. We have to teach children that there's a certain amount of negotiation in situations. And if, if they want to be a leader, they have to learn to negotiate. There has to be give and take. And I think parents have to show that with their children. I mean, not that you're going to negotiate every little issue, but at times you can ask the child, well, I think you should do this, but can you give me an argument for changing my mind? For instance, suppose a child wants to go to a sleepover party or they want to go to a party and they want to stay out later than they're normally supposed to stay out. Uh, you could ask them, well, can you give me a good reason for that? Oh, well, because everybody's going to be going to the movies and then they're going to come back to the house and they're going to have pizza. And after that, all the children are going to go home. Well, then you might want to rethink, well, maybe in this one instance, you can stay out a little bit later. You know, giving them the sense that you can be fair about things that there's not, you know, all, always one answer. There's always, um, there's always a way to communicate, you know, uh, to express your opinion and see yes. the different sides. And the same thing with what children are watching uh, or what they're seeing on, on the internet or in the news, showing them again, that's an opinion that somebody has. Is that a fact because they say it so? You know, teaching them the difference yeah. between facts and opinions. 
Uh, yes. That's one and, of the and, things I tried and to do. Active participation. You know, the the participation factor there, allowing them to initiate the outcome themselves, that's very important, you know, and a lot of parents, they don't allow that participation in understanding why, why is this good? Why is this bad? The critical thinking. It's very, very interesting how you've put that together. And I think it's important to allow children a certain boldness to try new things and let them see that they're going to succeed at some and they're going to fail at some, uh, you know? Yes. Uh, and that's a very, very important part of growing up and learning yeah. to be uh, a responsible adult and, again, that's one of the skills you need in leadership, right? You have to have compassion, but you also have to realize that there has to be a certain amount of risk-taking. Uh, not that you want to show a child that they need to take unnecessary risks, but it's okay right. to try something different. It's okay uh, and it's okay if it doesn't always work out, you know, uh, uh, children right. need to understand that change is an important part of life. And uh, sometimes change is good. Uh, you know, children yeah. tend to be fearful of change, you know, uh, especially a change like a move, you know, they, they, they are uh, accustomed to their friends, they're accustomed to their life situation. And, you know, they, they, don't want to try something new, but sometimes it turns out that's wonderful. They make wonderful new friends and they love their new school. And yeah. it, it turns out it's a great experience. Yeah. Life. It, it's funny how we have to live it, you know, but we all <laughs> have to go through those funny times in life and having a good teacher, a good moral backing behind you to, help you along the way not hold your hand all the way but just when you need that helping hand it, it it's a lost art in today's society you know you can't even walk down the street alone as a child now you, you know when i was a child i i used to go miles from home and be be out until dark you don't get that opportunity and that that learning that is involved in that freedom. It's just something that is missing today. And that's unfortunate, you know, because that freedom of going out and observing, learning for yourself and not having somebody there to hold your hand all the time that's when you're going to really learn that critical thinking and you know the rights and the wrongs is this going to hurt it might so yeah i i really enjoy what you brought up there i i think uh learning lessons in life it's not always easy so what do you have coming up for people next, Barbara? 
Well, as far as my book series, uh, the next book will be Thomas Jefferson's Home at Monticello. So we'll be exploring his home, the fascinating roles that he played in history in addition to being president and writer of the Declaration of Independence, his experiences with uh, African-Americans and the black culture and how uh, there is a very interesting project going on uh, doing oral histories with the uh, descendants of Thomas Jefferson. And he had, again, like most people of the age, he had a very complicated structure of thinking. Uh, he was a talented architect. He was, uh, again, uh, had a great interest in farming. Uh, a part of his culture, the way of thinking at the time, the Southern gentleman and his uh, experience with the plantation system. Uh, again, uh, he, he was a complicated personality with that as well. Uh, we talk about uh, what happened to Monticello through the ages, how it changed and evolved. Uh, we talk about people and the issues. We talk a little bit about some of Jefferson's influences in other parts of our history, like the Smithsonian Institution, uh, his relationships with other people of, of the time, uh, and so on. Uh, I have other drafts of books uh, already in progress. I, as you mentioned, I do have some books on military history. Uh, I find military history fascinating for children because again, it involves usually when I'm talking about military history, I'm talking about a whole series of issues that involve not just the United States, but world history. So I have a book on the Intrepid. The Intrepid is a museum today. It took part in world, uh, in, in World War II, the Vietnam War. It took part in the space age as a, a recovery vessel for capsules, took part in anti-submarine warfare during the Cold War. It has a whole plethora of issues. Children that go to the Intrepid can have a very hands-on experience with history because they go to um, the Explorium where they can get into a helicopter that was used during the vet. Vietnam War. They can see a space capsule that was returned. They can see the Enterprise space shuttle on the flight deck. They can look at planes from World War I and World War II. They could see movies of how life was in. Again, it's a very multidimensional experience. So I have a book on the Iowa, the battleship Iowa as well, which has a, a, a unique history. I'm going to do a book on the Slater. The USS Slater is a, uh, the surviving destroyer of uh, World War II. And that also has a very, very unique and complex history. And you can still visit it today. Uh, and that is an, a wonderful experience. There are a group of volunteers who are restoring every part of it 
and it is fascinating. It, again, it, it's a view into everyday life uh, and how, how it would have been because the destroyers during World War II were protecting the merchant marine. Uh, they were protecting the military and they were such an important part of our winning the war. So that's another fascinating experience. I am teaching a lot uh, during COVID when I wasn't able to get out into the classrooms at all or do book events and get out and meeting children. I did a lot of videos. So I have uh, teaching videos for parents and teachers on my YouTube channel. I have videos of history for, for kids told by kids. And I have videos on the national parks and different aspects of history. Um, what's a fact, what's an opinion, how you can tell the difference, how you can be little videos on how to be a good citizen. So all kinds of teaching videos. Uh, and on my blog, I review literature, uh, family-friendly books. So books for toddlers, preschoolers, elementary age, all the way up. I do book reviews and uh, provide lists of things uh, that I would recommend. So I have tips and tricks on my blog as well. Uh, and I'm active on social media, again, sharing advice, Pinterest. I have Pinterest board for parents and teachers and um, I share all kinds of things on my Facebook and Instagram. So I'm just trying to provide all kinds of opportunities for children to develop their critical thinking and aids for parents and teachers and even authors. Uh, I share a little bit of my experience as an author um, and some tips for authors as well. That sounds exciting. So do you have a call to action for people? Yes, become a character in history today. Uh, my, my little character has a famous, her, her favorite quote is, if you don't know your history, you don't know what you're talking about. And I think people should find out more about history as our legacy, our foundation, our culture, our way of thinking. I have a little uh, article on my blog, 14 Reasons You Need to Understand History. And that, that kind of encapsulates some of the things that we're talking about. And um, I would be glad to send that to anybody uh, who's interested or any of my resources uh, for that matter, anybody who wants to, to contact me directly, they can click on my blog. Uh, littlemisshistory.com and is a direct contact form and I would be glad to provide them with anything that they think would be useful to them. All right and that was the next question how to get a hold of you <laughs> is that the best way on your website? Yes on my website littlemisshistory.com I have the books uh, little snippets of information about each one, where you can buy them, what people have said about them. I have links to my blog where you can get the reviews and the articles. I have a link to my YouTube channel where you can connect with the articles. And there are links to everything else, my Pinterest, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and so on. So just 
pretty much go to littlemisshistory.com, click any of those, or direct contact me through the contact form. Barbara, it's very fascinating and exciting what you're doing, and I think it's very helpful in the world today. I want to say thank you for being part of the Dead America podcast, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.